Greetings, and welcome to the initial edition of the DMSO Remix Podcast. I'm Eric McIntyre, your host, and I'm excited to introduce our season debut, Discover Fandango. It's a celebration of music of the Spanish and Mexican tradition. To start off, we might consider the word Fandango. It has multiple meanings. One is a type of dance that's in triple meter, meaning three beats per bar, that dates back to the 1700s from Spain and Portugal. In the Mexican state of Veracruz, fandango is a term for a community party involving singing, poetry, and especially dancing on a large wooden platform. And fandango is also the title of the final centerpiece work on this program. While the program is very much under the influence of Spanish music, we won't be hearing any music by Spanish composers. Instead, we have music by a Russian who once spent three days in Spain, a Frenchman who was there for a few months on holiday, and a Mexican composer who grew up steeped in musical traditions handed down by generations with deep roots in Spain. This is a program where rhythm and pulse have a prominent role given the dance traditions of Spain and their heavy influence on both classical and popular music. When we think about dance, we usually gravitate to the importance of the beat and how that informs the steps, but in the Spanish tradition and in the music on this program, it might even seem that the driving force is how the music avoids or plays against the beat. That tension between the regular progression of pulse or beat and rhythms that play off the beat is an integral component of a lot of Spanish music, and it means there's going to be a lot of rhythmic fun on this opening concert of our season. We'll encounter a wonderful example of rhythmic play in the very first notes of this program with Emmanuel Chabrier's España Rhapsody. Chabrier may not be the most familiar name among late 19th century French composers, but his importance as an innovator and his influence on other more well-known composers should not be overlooked. España is his most popular composition, and it often finds its place on programs of what we call light classics because it's a catchy piece of music with an immediate impact. But it's also a very clever work with a lot of sophistication beneath that charming surface. In fact, Gustav Mahler once told musicians of the New York Philharmonic that España was, quote, the start of modern music. That's quite an assertion given that Mahler himself was such a pivotal figure in musical modernism. There's so much to take in when we listen to España, from the glorious melodies to the brilliant use of the full range of orchestral color. But back to the topic of rhythm and pulse. España begins with a kind of trick that Chabrier keeps going for quite a while before he lets us in on the secret. When we hear this at the opening, it sure sounds like the meter is made up of three beats at a very moderate clip. One, two, three, one. Those plucked string notes establish that pulse, as do subsequent entrances from other instruments, including the muted trumpets, who bring in the melody. Mm -hmm. 
But just over a minute in, Chabrier reveals that the beat is quite a bit faster. And this is because at the beginning, he has emphasis not on beats one, two, three, one, two, three, but instead, we actually have a faster pulse of one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Chabrier places emphasis on every other pulse to give a feeling of a slower beat. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. But it's not until he changes the texture and introduces a new melody built on that faster pace that we realize the trick. It's like an audible illusion of sorts. Listen here as the trick is unveiled. But the fun doesn't end there. Chabrier keeps it up throughout the work. Sometimes we shift back and forth between the two speeds, but sometimes they're presented simultaneously and the result is a delightful tension. Here's a place where the strings are just insistent about a more moderate melody while the horns keep on with their faster waltz-like tune. Chabrier's inspiration to write this score came when he was touring Spain with his wife in the summer and fall of 1882. He had spent a lot of time exploring musical cultures in Andalusia and other regions and was certain that his own excitement about what he heard would be shared with his own audiences when he returned to Paris. About that, he was certainly correct. By the way, if you haven't heard Espana before, but the main tune seems oddly familiar, perhaps it's because you recognize it from a certain 1950s novelty song made famous by Perry Como. Kiss that away, bring me bliss that away. What a kiss that away, what a wonderful feeling to feel that away. Tell me where have you been all my life? Oh, hot ziggity dog, ziggity boom, what you do? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Anyway, Espana is just the beginning. We are going to encounter these kinds of rhythmic juxtapositions, these syncopations throughout the program because they are at the heart of so much Spanish music. And that rhythmic tradition doesn't stop at Spain's borders. In fact, when it's exported abroad and merges with an array of other musical realms, the results are fantastic. Arturo Marquez's series of works titled Danzon are prime examples of what can happen when people put their musical heads together.
The danson is a music and dance form from Cuba with historical roots in Spanish, African, French Creole, and other Caribbean cultures. It's a seductive dance that began, much like the waltz in Central Europe, in scandal because the partners, brace yourself for this, would touch each other when they danced. Well, despite such seedy origins, it enjoys immense popularity, including in the Veracruz area of Mexico, which is where it catches the ear of Arturo Marquez. Marquez is the son of a mariachi musician and grandson of a Mexican folk musician, so he grew up surrounded by Mexican music, and then he went off for conservatory training as a pianist, theorist, and composer. Today, he enjoys tremendous success as a composer of classical music in the European tradition, that also reflects popular and folk music of Mexico in equal measure. His most popular compositions are a series of nine danzones for various ensembles, with danzon number two being perhaps his greatest international hit. And while the scores vary in instrumentation, color, and scope, they have in common that rhythmic play that pits steady pulse against elements that seek to defy it. Here's a few brief excerpts from some of Marquez's danzones, Take note of how they share a similar rhythmic groove. Danson number six, subtitled Puerto Carvario, is scored for soprano saxophone and string orchestra, and it's characteristic of the series in that it features this constantly shifting bass rhythm under sumptuous melodies that seem to go on and on forever.
One fascinating thing about Danson number six is that despite moments that seem to become much more or less active, that is to speed up and slow down, the tempo never really changes. The beat remains the same. And this can be important in dance music. Marquez achieves this apparent change of tempo by exploring various levels of surface motion. Sometimes there are a lot more notes flowing by to give a sense of acceleration, but at others he removes that emphasis on the pulse and the accompaniment, and we get a feeling of relaxation in the tempo. The effect can be magical. At this point, we've heard Spanish music inspired by travels in Spain and Mexican music by a Mexican composer. Now we come to perhaps the most well-known composition on the program, Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov's Capriccio Español, a work that just drips with the sound of Spain despite the fact that its composer had virtually no experience in that country. It appears that he had one quick stopover in Asturias during his service as an officer in the Imperial Russian Navy, but otherwise his obvious understanding of Spanish music came not from first-hand experience, but from intense study of printed collections of Spanish folk songs. Whatever the method, the results are stupendous, and some assert that Rimsky-Korsakov's grasp of Spanish folk music idioms exceeded that of some native Spanish composers. There's so much to say about Capriccio Espanol, and we could really spend our entire discussion on it and just scratch the surface. One thing that always deserves attention, though, with Rimsky-Korsakov is orchestration. That is, the way instruments are used and combined to create orchestral tone color. Not only was he a master of the craft, he literally wrote the book on orchestration. Well, at least he wrote one of the most important books. Capriccio Espanol is a kaleidoscope of brilliant orchestral color, from its array of virtuosic passages for solo instruments to the magnificent effects achieved with the full ensemble. After its premiere, critics were quick to praise it as a wonderfully orchestrated work, but Rimsky-Korsakov took umbrage with this assertion because it seemed to suggest that the composition itself might not be that strong. I'm reminded of a passage in the book The History of Orchestration by English composer Adam Kars, where he declares that orchestration has been a servant of the great, a support to the mediocre, and a cloak for the feeble. Recognizing how claims of his great orchestration in Capriccio Espanol might in fact be backhanded compliments, in his autobiography, Rimsky-Korsakov claims that his score was not a work with wonderful orchestration, but a brilliant composition for orchestra.
cast in five movements tied together by a recurring theme that is introduced at the outset. He titles this theme Alborada, or a traditional morning song. Alborada has the same root word as the French obad, a song that's to be sung to a lover in the morning, as opposed to the serenade, which will be sung in the evening. In some descriptions, though, the obad would be sung by an accomplice of illicit lovers whose job was to rouse them at daybreak so they wouldn't be discovered. Oremsky Korsakov's Alborada is definitely rousing. It sparkles with percussion instruments like the tambourine, which is associated with festive folk music, and in this case plays along with the main rhythm as if it's carrying the melody. Adding to this excitement, we hear whirling virtuosic solos from the clarinet and violin. Almost as soon as the Alborada bursts on the scene and establishes itself, it gives way to the much more lyrical second movement called Variations. Here in this set of variations, on a repeated theme, we hear yet another example of Rimsky-Korsakov's clever use of the instruments. The movement opens with a lush chorale in horns, which is then followed by the same material in strings yielding a somewhat softer texture. Then we hear a superbly scored conversation between a solo English horn and solo horn. The English horn introduces a somewhat forlorn melody and the horn responds with a more noble fanfare. But the most elegant touch is when the horn then immediately echoes itself playing stopped where the player seals their hand across the bell of the instrument to get a buzzy, distant sound. The result is a compelling narrative achieved almost entirely through orchestration. In the fourth movement, we hear another series of passages for different groups of instruments and soloists. These are cadenzas where soloists or choirs of instruments play freely over roles in the percussion section.
It gives the effect of perhaps warming up in preparation for the Canto Gitano, or Gypsy Song, to follow. Once that song starts, we might get a sense that we are back in the world of Chabrier's Espana, where that three-beat dance provides a canvas for dazzling orchestral color. When Rimsky-Korsakov did briefly find himself in harbor in Spain, it was on the coast of Asturias in northwest part of the country. And when it came to drive his capriccio to its fiery conclusion, he chose the folk music of Asturias, and once again we find ourselves on the topic of fandango. In this case, fandango refers to a lively Spanish dance involving guitars, castanets, and hand clapping in the Asturian style with melodies that are heavily adorned with ornamentation reflecting the Asturian traditional music that features bagpipes and castanets in prominent roles. So it seems clear that although he didn't have the luxury of much on-the-ground first-hand research, Rimsky-Korsakov indeed did his homework when it comes to Spanish music. And now we come to the point where the three fandangos meet. Arturo Marquez's Fandango for Violin and Orchestra received its premiere in 2021, so it's hot off the presses. Better yet, the work was composed for our featured violin soloist, Anakiko Myers, so we're hearing it in its pure, original form. As I previously mentioned, Fandango is a Spanish dance that developed in the 18th century and has been employed by a number of composers in other contexts, including opera and ballet, and as we just heard, in Capricho Español. As a Mexican composer, Marquez also thinks of Fandango as a community party in Veracruz that brings together a variety of performance and revelry. In this sense, Marquez's violin concerto is bigger than just a dance. It's a setting for dances. The work is set in three movements, like a traditional concerto, with an expansive first movement, slower middle movement, and a rollicking finale. Each of the movements draws its foundations from dance traditions of Mexico and the Caribbean. The first movement starts off with what Marquez calls a call to the remote history of Fandango. Then once it starts moving, we hear a rhythm that harkens back to that of Marquez's danzones. It's established by the claves, a pair of hardwood sticks that are struck together to produce a distinctive click.
That rhythmic pattern is also called clave, from the Spanish word meaning key, code, or keystone. And that rhythm is referred to as a key or guide pattern. It's both a five-note pattern and the framework around which the music is built. The second movement is a seductive, almost dragging dance that Marquez describes as an imaginary marriage between the Mexican Huapango Mariachi and three of his favorite Spanish composers, Sarasate, Defaya, and Albeniz. It's where the Mexican folk tradition of Huapango Mariachi meets Fandango. With so much dance music, we might get wrapped up in the motion and occasionally lose sight of the fact that a concerto is really a means of showing off a soloist's virtuosity. But that's definitely not going to be an issue in the finale when Marquez taps into the music of Fandanghito Huasteco. It's a style featuring a trio of instruments with voices and a heavy emphasis on virtuoso violin playing. So when Marquez brings us to this final movement titled Fandanguito, we know we are in for some serious pyrotechnics in the violin part. I hope this introduction to the Des Moines Symphony's 2023 season debut has piqued your curiosity and has you ready to join us at the Civic Center on September 23rd and 24th. This concludes the DMSO Remix podcast. Thank you for joining me. Goodbye.